Well, uh, I've got a short message tonight and really uh, intend to be short, but it's a, a series I want to start. Now, we will still have a rotation of some speakers on Wednesday night. Um, I'm looking to get some of our new youth uh, leaders uh, involved in speaking on Wednesday nights. But when I, ca- when I preach, I will be on a series on the seven deadly sins. And um, so that it'll make things interesting. You know, uh, when, you, when I look through the list, though, I got to tell you that the order in which I have this series is envy tonight, uh, pride, anger or wrath, slothfulness or laziness, greed, gluttony, and lust. And I'm really glad that gluttony is so far down the list because that gives me a chance to pull myself in line (laughs) before I have to preach on it. And and as far as lust, well, you single people, you have time to find that spouse um, before we get to that one. So you got seven Wednesday nights when I preach. It's going to last a while. So anyway, but envy, um, that's what we're on tonight. And I I don't mind it being a discussion. Sometimes we have different formats Wednesday nights, but, uh, you know, Dawn Osborne's been working a lot. She's been gone. She hasn't, she's always willing to, she's usually sitting over there and will raise her hand if she has a question. Um, But Matthew chapter 20 is is where our text is tonight. Oh, and one more thing. If you missed, if you missed the minute, um, Joe had texted me and it made me remember we changed the format last minute because I didn't really have an outline because most of the people that came were already involved in ministry. And, there, and the few folks that didn't have a place yet had to cancel last minute. So we changed the format. And instead of me having a kind of a more of a uh, instruction or teaching, it was just a high-level vision and kind of talk about getting a new building. And we had three sessions. So um, I told Mark and Joe that we'll just try to get together and I'll bring that back um, as, I, I, as I did it. So if you didn't get to go, you couldn't go that weekend, but you would like to um, get in on that, then we could plan maybe at our house or here at the church or something um, easy. But just let me know before we plan with Mark and Joe. That way you can get in on that. Um, All right, well, seven deadly sins. Here's a few realities of that list I read off to you. Every sin on the list brings disorder or confusion and chaos into our lives. It's really interesting to me uh, as I'm... You know, every one of you, unless you're retired, but when you weren't retired, you went through changes in your roles. If you spend any amount of time in a job, two, three years, um, I took a class at Walmart that, that a lot of people take, and I'm trying to remember the name of it, but it, it taught you about the stages you go through in a new position, where at first you're hungry to learn, you're excited and all, and if you learn, then you move on to being, you know, somewhat proficient at your job, but you still need a lot to learn. You get to this point where you're really good at your job, and if you stay there too long when you're really good at it, instead of moving on to more responsibility, you'll hit burnout, um, that kind of thing. Well, well as, a, as a pastor, what's interesting role is um, things that used to bother me or I got all worked up or angst about in the first couple years don't bother me. I have a new set of bothers, right? We do that. But, but things that I used to get worked up at don't, don't. And um, one of the things that... Uh, I think I'm getting better at is is when it comes to ministry, pastors of the danger is getting envious of other churches that are bigger, better, right? Or that you think of. But but envy, you know, I don't think I escape it by any means, but at least in as far as ministry, I, I mean, yes, there are things that I would like to see a new song do or have that others have, but um, it... It, I guess it doesn't make me wish that the other person didn't have it. And that's where envy often takes you, is it takes you where you don't really want anybody else to have it if you can't have it. And 
but it brings disorder and confusion and chaos in our lives. And just like many of the sins, when we talk about deadly sins, is these particular sins are not that they're just worse than others, except for the fact that they tend to really begin to degrade and um, destroy your character, and your, your relationships, and, and they really become... I, I've been told many times, my wife, and I should follow the instruction, but there's a movie we watched before we stopped having to watch certain movies because... And our pastors. No, because we, we, we know we shouldn't. But there was a movie with Jack Black called Envy. And it, I don't remember the bad parts in it because it's been a long time ago if they're bad parts. But I just remember that the funny part was is his neighbor, who was the goofy one, Jack Black, they both worked in a, and he was a boss and he wasn't. And he was going to get a bean-shaped pool. And they made a big thing about it. It wasn't just a round pool. He was getting a bean-shaped pool. And, and so, but his friend was happy for him. He, went, he wasn't up the ladder at the job, and, but he was happy he was getting bean-shaped. Wow, you're going to get in a bean-shaped pool. And, and then as the movie goes, though, his friend comes up with this idea called vaporize. And it, he sees, they stop at a stoplight, and they see someone having to pick up with a glove after their dog messed, pick it up and do that, and they're all both like, ugh. You know, I have the same reaction. Like, ugh. You know, uh, and so the the... The, the friend, who is not the one with bean-shaped pool, comes with this idea he's going to make this stuff vaporize, and he actually gets this guy who's a chemist, and in his garage, they all of a sudden make this thing that they spray it on, and it poof, it goes away, you know? And so next thing you know, he's on infomercials, and the whole thing explodes, and then his little house becomes this big mansion, you know, and at one point, he comes riding up on this big white stallion, you know, in front of us, and the, the neighbor's house shadows you know, his house. And then, then the envy gets to the guy that was getting the bean-shaped pool. Now, now he's not happy for him. He's getting jealous. And, and it reminds me, I've, I remember when I joked with um, uh, Pastor Bob Metcalf of the Big Baptist Church over there. I didn't know him, had briefly met him once before. And when we were helping with the Habitat for Humanity build, they had all these pastors that were part of the 12 Apostles build, the churches coming together. And Pastor Bob had something going on, so he came in very last minute. And I got to know everybody around. Well, they asked, does anybody not know Pastor Bob? I said, oh, no, I know him. I know him. In fact, he saves our church a lot of money. And everybody just kind of stopped and looked. And I said, yeah, in the summertime, his church is so huge that the shadow <laughs> shades our church that saves us our electric bill. <laughs> and everybody laughed but him. And I thought, I don't know if maybe he didn't un- understand that was supposed to be funny. But anyway, <laughs> he's a good guy. But we, we um, but you know, envy... Envy can work that way. You know, it's always who's got what and keeping up with the Joneses. And so, disordering fusion. But pride, here, here's, here's the thing. They all deny the limits of what's right in your life. I'll say that a little, again. It, it denies all that is right, what's right in your life, what God intended to be right in your life. It denies it. For instance, pride denies the limit of authority. I have seen time and time again, it's, you know, I can be prideful, yes, and, and I have to watch that, but uh, I've said many times, I, I've prayed before, God, please bring a better pastor than me and let me just go back to supporting the main guy. I don't want to be the main guy. Let somebody else, you know, because uh, I, I, I'm afraid of, you know, failing at it. And so I feel that, but, but I've seen time and time again, as we've had an ebb and flow in the Bible Belt, people coming and going in the church, um, if you're not careful, you tend to uh, categorize folks. And I've seen a certain number of folks that they have spent so much time as a Christian that somehow they've let pride come in and like they've arrived and they know the word better than anybody else. 
They're, everywhere they go, they're trying to correct the pastor. They're trying to correct the church. They're trying to, you know, and, and they'll go on Facebook and they'll try to correct you there. They'll do, you know, they don't have any cooth in it. It's just, just constant badgering about how this is what scripture means. And you guys don't get this or you need to get it, you know, and it's always like the point in the finger, point in the finger. And uh, I've always, I've started to think, God, help me. If I ever feel like I start to understand your scripture, but humble me, <laughs> you know, humble me because uh, pride does that. It denies the limit of authority. And, and someone who is in that spot has a very hard time finding a place where they can be under the authority of someone else because nobody else can meet their, their expectations of, of understanding Scripture. You know, um, envy denies the limit of what is appropriately mine. Envy denies the fact that, you know, God has blessed me with a certain amount of things, but I, if I get envious of everybody else, then I'm never satisfied with what I have. You know, when I pull up, I, I'm not ashamed of my big truck. It's not pretty. I get it. It's spray painted. I don't think that a pastor needs to drive that kind of truck around town forever. But we're in a building project, and I built my house, and now eventually I want to be in something that you turn on a button and air conditioning comes on. That's, you know, I want to have my coffee in the nice clean cup holder and everything smell new. Ken's truck. You, you want to know, just go, how long have you had that truck? Three years. Go open the door. Do you put the new car smell thing in there? No. That's called, you put anything in my truck that doesn't belong, you die. That's, that's, <laughs> how, that's the only way you get there, and I know how he is. But, you know, not envious. I'm happy for Ken, so I wouldn't classify him envious, but recently I rode with him, and I almost felt like I was too dirty to get in there. And I was like, man, it... I just poked my head in there. I was like, man, it still smells like new. How do you do that? And then, and then you know, we start to go somewhere. That's why he always offers to drive. Like, I, I never have to spend fuel if I do anything with Ken because he is not going to want to ride in my truck. <laughs> the dog rides in there. Or the tools ride in there. <laughs> and you get in, hold on, let me put all this stuff in the back. Um, but what's appropriate of mine? Right now, at this stage, God has provided me a workhorse of a truck. That if somebody backs into it at the property, I'm not going to get all crying and all that as long as it still runs. You know, um, it's you know things can happen to it, and it's okay because it's for a time. <laughs> I liked Ray's expression. He kind of looked off. He's like, <laughs> <laughs> "Yeah." Uh, wrath denies the limits of appropriate response. Oh man. Three times this week, I've had to apologize for my attitude and my response to situations. I'm just being real with you. Three times I've had to tell people, I'm sorry, no excuse. I, I've, I've tried not to say, I'm tired, this and that. Just, I'm sorry, no excuse. But it, it denies slothfulness, slothfulness. Now, some of these deadly sins can get a little confusing for me because I grew up with a dad who just will work himself to death. And I find myself, the older I'm getting, where there's a switch. Uh, in the Brummets, I think you get to a certain point where you can just switch off and you just keep going and to the point you hurt yourself, but you go. And so I don't worry so much about slothfulness in my family, but, you know, gluttony, does that just cover food only, or can I be gluttonous about pushing to the limit and trying to accomplish more and more and more when God has told me there's a certain amount of time that I should rest. Um, slothfulness. Greed denies the limit of, uh, oh, I'm sorry, slothfulness denies the limits of diligence and faithfulness. 
You know, I, I, will, I will say this about slothfulness. I believe that slothfulness probably resides in our churches more than we would ever admit or identify. It, it comes under the guise of excuses. That's why we don't really recognize it. Because as long as you have a valid excuse for being slothful, then everybody gives you the pass, right? But someday, somewhere, you get held accountable. It's usually in a job where you're getting a paycheck. But somebody will hold you accountable for being slothful. They will say, that's not good enough. Greed denies the limit of possession. Gluttony denies the limit of consumption. And lust denies the limit of a relationship. But they run hope. They run your hope. Despair is always a result of all those on those lists. At some point, at somewhere, they will be the factor of why you despair. Our lives aren't meant to be lived under the dominion of these sins. When these sins have dominion over us, our eternal hope in God begins to fade, and we find despair ruling our lives. Comfort eating. So I said I don't want to really do gluttony at first. Because comfort eating, it's, it is a sin. I mean, it really is. I know we, we classify and label things lesser than others, but, you know, if I am stressed about something, and I come home, and I eat three plates of our dinner, and then I eat a dessert, and then... You know, I'm feeling bad when I go to bed. I was being gluttonous. There's no need to harm myself, you know, to try to. But that's the same thing that happens with drug addiction or whatever. You have problems. There's triggers. There's things that trigger us to try to comfort and um, compensate for things we're going through. Think of a time in your life when you were walking really tight with God. When your prayer life was in order. When... Your Bible reading was disciplined. When you, witnessed your, uh, when you witnessed with your faith and attended church every time the doors were open, weren't you happy then? I, I've been thinking a lot lately about my youthfulness in serving God. I've not been thinking that just because of we've been focusing more on youth ministry lately, but really I think about the innocence of my youth in serving God when it was simple. All I had to do is love God and love people. And loving people was easier then because I didn't feel like I had to accomplish anything other than just being there with them and walking life together. We just, in the youth group, we had a lot of fun and we just hung out and did things. And then all these responsibilities and these things came along and now serving God in, in, as an adult seems like it involves so much more. You know, we're rating ourselves. Are we getting this done for the Lord? Are we getting this done? Are we accomplishing? Are we, are we seeing enough souls saved? I've never met a backslidden Christian who couldn't remember a time like that. That's one of the things when I've had a chance to talk to somebody who has had a relationship with God, has been away, and many times they'll say, I'm waiting to take care of this stuff and then I want to come back to the Lord. They always have it backwards, even though they know the truth, but somehow they've changed it in their head where as soon as I get my life in order, then I'll come back to the Lord relationship with the Lord. But time and time again I've said, don't you just miss communing with him? Don't you miss when it just would bring tears to your eyes because you get up in the morning, he's put a song in your heart, and you spend time with him. And the reason I say that is not some trick or some, you know, just pulling strings is because the example I think I gave recently in service or maybe I was telling somebody when I was away from the Lord and I was doing work for this Christian a family that had a furniture store and they were playing Hillsong. I think it was Sunday, as mentioned. And it, it was truthful. I mean, what got me and what started 
the track of God trying to get me pulled back to focus on him and have a relationship with him is I couldn't go in there and hear that and not feel the peacefulness because of all the havoc in my life, all the despair, all the things causing chaos in my life. But, but as soon as I heard this worship coming from a true heart of worship from whoever, whatever Hillsong is now, I don't know. I'm not a big Hillsong fan, but, but whoever that was then, I can't remember. Zesh or Zesh. Yes. That was probably who it was. And I, I mean, it just would get me. And I have to go hide for a while, just grown guy. I'm supposed to be all the rough and tumble biker at the time. I'd just be sobbing. And, um, you know, it's an indicator to me that, that when I talk to people who have known the Lord and walked closely before with him, the one thing you can always be for sure is they miss the communion with the Lord. They miss that intimate relationship with him. And when you ask them, they will always mention that time as the happiest time of their life. During this series, I, I don't want you to fight off the conviction of the Spirit. Here's the thing. What I'm asking the Lord to help me during this short series is, uh, you know, not to just get entertained by talking about the seven deadly sins. Um, there's been movies made about it, you know, that are not correct in there. But, but for me to really let the Holy Spirit convict me, really let him convict me and not push away but say, hey, look, yes, I have a gluttony problem. There's problems I have that I need to get rid of in my life. Matthew 20, uh, verses 1 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a, der- a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, and he did the same thing. So, so you're getting the picture. He, he, he gets some guys, he gets them hired and working, or people out there working. And he's going through the marketplace. He's out shopping. You know, I got work going on, and, uh, and that's a fun feeling. When you got a crew and there's work going on, you, you get to go shopping. That's one of the things I do enjoy. And so you got a crew working there, and he goes out and he finds some other people like, oh, these people are slothful. They're just standing around. I'll give you something to do. I'll hire you, you know, <laughs> sends them out. And he does this again and again, right? So now he's, he's got a, uh, some people have been there all day, some that are coming a little later, and a little later, a little later. About the 11th hour, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day, all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. This guy's a great recruiter. He just walk up and hires people on the spot. When, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. Catch what's going on? The last people out, they're getting paid first. The workers who were hired about the 11th hour came and each received a denarius. And so when, they came, when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. My kids would pick up on that. I'll give you a quarter if you do this. Well, one of them is in the bathroom for an hour and comes out later, right? And they all still get a quarter. The other two are thinking, next time I'll spend an hour in the bathroom. And come out and do an hour less work and get the same money. 
When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. And verse 12, these men who were hired last worked only one hour. They said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and have and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Trickery. Trickery. That's no, it's not trickery, but it's but, you know, I would be like, what? What? So you're, you're just, I should have had a contract. That's what I should have had. Take your pay and go, verse 14. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Envy might not be considered a gross sin in this contemporary world, but it is actually devastating. Proverbs 14.30, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Matthew 27.15-18, now it was the governor's custom at the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one would you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew it was out of envy that they had handled, handed Jesus over to him. Acts 13.45, When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and talked abusively against what Paul was saying. What's that, you know? Don't hate me because you ain't me. Envy's at the heart of war between nations. Anti-Semitism, you go down the list, it's envy. Many countries hate us because of what we have. And we've, we've done, I'm sure, plenty of wrong. And that's why some are mad. And some of us probably don't even know all the wrong that our country has done in our name. And that's why they want to kill all of us. But the, the truth is, is envy is at the heart of much of it. It was envy driven by materialism and anti-Semitism that fueled the Nazi Germany against the Jews. They were jealous and cried out that the Jews had all the money. If you remember, one of the big things was the hordes of art, expensive art, jewelry, all the things that they took from the Jews. You know, I watch all those crime shows, I told you, right? Very first thing is they go in. If nothing is served and nothing was taken, they're like, oh, this was not a robbery. This was a crime of, of hatred. And what we don't realize is much of what happened with the Nazis wasn't as much anti-Semitism as it was envy. There's one thing for sure is, if anybody's going to be envious of any nation or people in this world, wouldn't it be the ones who have always been called God's chosen? That's why we are hated as Christians, because we've been adopted into that family. Ironically, it was envy that it, the, the was the spiritual fuel behind communism and fascism. And so the communist says these people don't have any right to have what we don't. I heard a story, there's a dog sitting on a bale of hay when a hungry cow came over. The dog snapped and growled at the cow, and the cow asked why the dog was acting this way, and the dog said it was because he was hungry. The cow said, well, I'm hungry too. Are you going to eat that hay? The dog said, are you stupid? I'm a dog. Dogs don't eat hay. Well, then, will you move over because I'd like to eat it? And the dog said, no, if I can't eat the hay, then nobody's going to eat the hay. Y'all were waiting for a big funny ending. Right? <laughs> That's it. 
That's, that's the whole moral of the story there, is that when envy comes in, you're not happy unless everybody's starving. If you're starving, everybody has to starve. It, it's one of the vilest aspects of the human soul. It's, it's this motivation behind the ex-girlfriend who murders the current girlfriend. It's the, the murderous sin of Cain. The, the envious man doesn't care that another, that another has, but he is incensed that someone else has what he wants. He, it, when you cannot stand that somebody else is getting ahead, you think it should be you. I remember after we built our house, and many of you have heard the story, and I probably told it too much, probably, because when we, you know, our house isn't, it's not that it's a big fancy house, but compared to where we lived, it was huge for us. It was twice the space. And we did all this to build it for half price. And so, you know, we built it. And we only had to borrow 114000 That was uh, a big deal for us. And I remember there was someone we hadn't seen for a long time, didn't go to this church, but they drove out and just showed up after we were moved in and just wanted to tour the house. And the first thing they said when we walked in the door, said, must be nice having a preacher's salary, having a house like this. First thing they said, I said, if you only knew... <laughs> My back still hurts. I've fallen off the ladders. You know, you know, it's just we make assumptions when we are envious because our first thing, we're blinded by the fact that we want what others have. It blinds us right off. And so we react, we react wrong in those situations. Nothing satisfies envy. Envy and materialism and jealousy will cause us to sin against others every single time. The broad stroke of envy is unsatisfiable. It doesn't care how talented I am. It only wants no one else to be that talented. You know, I, I admit, I watched American Idol. I'm not watching the next round. Probably until it's old and I'll watch it on YouTube. But, you know, I watched it and I always wanted to sing. I did. I always wanted to sing. I wanted to be that superstar on the stage. I did. You're laughing. I really did. I gave up on it a long time ago, but I always wanted it. <laughs> And, and, and singing to God kind of fulfills, you know, my spirit and feeds that a little. And so sometimes I'll sit in the back too, just four people in the back because I belt it out back there. I'm like, if I get up here, I mess up the worship team. So I'll get back there <laughs> and sing real loud. But I love that. You know, there are other people that are more talented than I in that. Our family gets together and there are people in our family that have been blessed with great voices. And I want so bad to be able to sing like that. I can't. But... The only saving grace is when I get called like, hey, I have to build something or put something together. I have to, you know, something that requires, you know, a skill I may have. And then I feel vindicated. Well, they, they may sing, but I can do this. But I still trade. <coughs> One Russian philosopher said, a miserable man looks constantly to find another man who is more miserable. Then he is happy. Misery loves company, doesn't it? That's true. Many of us, are the envy in us, we don't recognize why it is envy because we don't really have a name and a face for it many times. It's just we're always looking for the opportunity for someone else to be more miserable than us so we can feel good about our misery. That's why I don't understand if, if people are trying to one-up you when you talk about aches and pains and they want to talk about worse aches and pains. I'm like, why, why would you want to compete for that? <laughs> like you're proud, you know? Oh, yeah, well, I've got two sciaticas and, you know... 15 of this or whatever. You know, oh, you shouldn't feel what I feel. <laughs> you know, um, like we get envious. Have you ever, I mean, seriously, I, have you ever been around somebody that seems envious of other people's 
suffering. Like, oh, I got to find something because they got more suffering than me. The fuel that keeps envy burning is comparison. Envy refuses to see that there are different gifts and abilities that that it is that is proper. It is proper for this to be this way. If envy refuses to see that there are differing gifts, then that means in a spirit-filled church, as New Song is, one of the deal killers will be for some people to experience their gift is when others who exercise their gift come off like they've arrived. I've, I've been in churches before where there's that one person that always has a message in tongues and they've got their buddy that always has an interpretation. And, and when they have that holier-than-thou attitude about it, everybody else that's a new believer coming up is afraid to do it. Well, I, I don't want to be scrutinized by the professionals. Right? And that's true. Isn't that what it's kind of given off? Like, you know, that's their place. Don't dare. It's like sitting in the pew where somebody had their name crocheted on a cushion and you moved it over. You are dead. At least to that sweet person. <laughs> what about Solomon, depending on when he called for the sword? Remember the two mothers debating over whose baby it was and he called for the sword? What was he depending on? He was depending on envy to show its face. Because there was going to be a true mom and the true mom was not going to dare let anything bad happen to that baby. But when the other mother would have been okay with the baby being cut in half, well, there's your envy. It says, I will be happy if she doesn't have one either. Solomon knew that envy always leads people to say, if I can't have it, no one can have it. When en envy enters in the, in the businessman, he or she makes decisions to borrow and roll the dice against the advice of his advisors trying to prove that he's one of the big boys. I, I remember one of the first big trials I had in pastoring where someone got cross with me and they made the statement to some other people that we better pray for New Song because when they leave and their giving leaves, this church was going to fold up and close. And I could not believe that that could be said, but it just made me realize that this thing of pride and envy, it is so treacherous because I know that person. I know that their heart, that, that they, didn't, they didn't live that way. But somewhere the enemy got a foothold. And for that to come out of your mouth, that means that, that, that envy, there's some kind of envious, maybe not of me, but maybe that they wanted some other you know, greater position in the church or something. But somewhere, envy, if I can't be the one provider for that church, then no one can. If I'm not going to be there, then no one's going to do it. Never a rider ain't been throwed and never a horse that ain't been rode. Even if you're great, there's still someone better. Envy uses fault finding and gossip to push down others. That's where it leads. And here's, here's, here's the snowball effect. Dave Ramsey Financial Peace talks about the snowball, the snowball. Here's the snowball effect of these deadly sins. They start collecting. Once one creeps in, then, then envy pride is always right there in, in combination and they start rolling together and before you know it that you've gotten angry at someone because envy slipped in or pride and now that you're angry and you're too prideful to make up and, and forgive 
You're just going to keep adding to it. You're just going to keep adding to it. The parable of the workers in the vineyard is uh, partially about salvation. The thief on the cross will have the same reward as the faithful follower. Can you imagine being one of those disciples who had followed Jesus for three years, had gone through all the travel and the tiring and all the stuff they'd gone through, and they were one of uh, Jesus' 12 disciples, and at the moment he's dying on the cross, he tells this thief who he just met, today you'll be in paradise with me. What? Peter is probably saying, I walked on water. This guy's a thief dying on a thief's cross. And you made me step out of a boat and took a chance of drowning. This guy gets to go just like that? I can't imagine what kind of envious thoughts might would have popped up. All day, those workers in the heat. And here's what the thing is. Envy, lust, all these sins, they aren't deadly until you're put, the pressure's put on. See, every one of them were happy. They're standing around. They're happy to get work. Yeah, I'll work for Denarius. Yeah, I'll go out and work. It's hot, but hey, I need some money. Might as well be making some money. I'll go out. What changed? I mean, I mean, he said, hey, what's the deal here? Can I do whatever I want with my money? You made an agreement. They got in the heat. Well, well, all of a sudden, there was some sacrifice and pressure put on, and now I feel entitled. And I'm going to tell you, folks, one of the dangers in the position we are in our church right now is there's been so much work to do. There's been so much sacrifice for some to have to make to, to get to this next season and to get more opportunities to minister people. And it's so easy for us to start feeling entitled before we even know it. I did all this, and then pastor's not going to do exactly what I said. Or pastor's going to brush me off. May, maybe I don't think about what's going on with schedule. Or someone else in the church. I, I use myself as an example because I don't want to you know, point fingers or anything. And, and somebody think there's a real sample I'm, I'm given. But, but it's really easy for us to start saying, I did all this for you. And that's where I know that things are starting to go wrong. When I have a conversation with someone and they say, well, I did all this stuff and I thought you would. And I realize, oh, I thought you were doing it for Jesus, just like I'm doing it for Jesus. I didn't realize we're swapping favors. I didn't realize we're supposed to open an account and drop a contract and say, now, now that you've invested in the kingdom, Pastor CJ owes you big time because this is his church and I'm doing it for him and he should be thankful. And I've been chastised for saying that and I realize how it may sound to the one who is already starting to head that way is they think I'm being ungrateful. They think I'm being ungrateful for their sacrifice. No, I'm thankful because I know what it feels like. I know it feels like when your body is tired and it hurts and you would rather be doing other things. I know, I would love to know again what a Saturday feels like to get up and just go have coffee somewhere and sit and hang out with some people and not worry about everything that's piling up and needs to get done. Those are the things I realize in our hearts we have to be careful. The enemy would try to pick us off one by one. And let me tell you something, not to go too far one way, but over this last year it's been happening. And you're next if you let it. And some of the advisor team that look at me, no, I'm not going to give the most recent example, but I get, I've gotten some nasty letters where investments, investments in the kingdom turn into 
bartering for favor. And all the time I thought we were all doing it for Jesus together. So let me tell you something. This church is not my church. I, I am a steward and I am a co-laborer with you. And the minute we get that wrong, we're going to get cross. Because I am not doing this to try to get any financial gain for myself. I know in the end, I'm not looking for a raise out of this. I'm looking for more people on payroll. I've told the advisor team, don't look at giving me a raise. My raise is when we can hire another person and we can build a staff and we can minister to more people. That's my raise. And I'm not here to toot my own horn because I've been accused of that too. I'm, I'm saying that my heart is, and it's not always right, but my heart is I am on alert and watch out all the time because the enemy tries to discourage me too. I mean, if we're, if we're going to be just, and we got to close, but if we're going to be just vividly clear and open, the enemy will try to tempt me if someone doesn't jump in and do something to try to help in the kingdom, I want to start saying, like, whose church is this? Whose church do they think this is? Do they think I'm doing this for myself? You know? And I have to guard myself and say, you know what? Everybody's got a place, and God's got a time for them, and he's got a skill set. He's got something he's going to use them for. And don't make those kind of judgments. Don't let envy or pride or any of that cause division. I have to stop myself all the time. So it's not just me pointing the fingers at other in church that you're in danger of. We have to both together, as we labor together, guard our hearts. Because these deadly sins are deadly. Not always to the temporary physical life-threatening, but guess what? If you end things on that note, guess what happens at the next church? I'm just hoping this one won't hurt me like the last one. And if it's not dealt with and God doesn't heal it and they don't handle it the right way, guess what? They're going to get hurt by that one. And guess what? Now the next church. And that's what tears me up for some folks is because they are in a constant state of being hurt by churches when really what it is is they've got a heart problem when it comes to relationships with people and they're letting some of these sins like envy and pride dominate and control them. And all I can say is that my, my, it has to, the main thing has to stay the main thing. I want to be sitting at that table with eternity looking across at your face and none of this pressure and for us to just I know there's no more tears in heaven but when I think about it it starts streaming a tear down my eye because I think we can look at each other with a sigh of relief and say it's not just about we made it we were victorious because you don't step into that place without hearing the words well done thou good and faithful servant and so as we bow our heads tonight I want us to just give the Lord complete control of our attitudes our emotions, everything, and say, Lord, guard our hearts as we go through this series. Teach us from your word. Guard our hearts. Protect us from envy. Each one of these we go through and protect us, Lord. Teach us. Mature us. Help us get past spiritual milk and onto the meat. And Lord, help us grow. Jesus, we come to you right now and ask, Lord, that a prayer of commitment from our hearts is now that we've heard the truth of your word, now that we've absorbed it, now that we will go and meditate on it. God, we believe and hope for and commit to change. We can't change our own. We're just releasing ourselves and our will to yours, saying, Lord, we are, we are the clay. Mold us. We want to be molded by the great potter. And we thank you for it and give you glory and praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Well, um, again, I... 
Nathan's been keeping the schedule. I can't remember who's speaking next week, but um, we may be changing that. But anyway, but when I come back on a Wednesday night again, speaking, um, we'll be on to um, the next one, to pride. So come, come prideful so you can get convicted. All right? All right. Love you. God bless you.